0: Woo-hoo! 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 I got my head What's up everybody and welcome into another episode of the Marble Sports Talk Show, broadcasting from the Crescent Dorm on quinnipiac's York Hill campus, or from I believe Andrew's house as he's back in Stanford. Uh, for the day. Um, I'm David Marr alongside Andrew Spazano. We are back with another podcast version of our show. We didn't have one last week or this week as it rather was because I was busy calling the hockey game and uh, celebrating some other occasion. I can't remember because I passed out right after the game is over. Um, so, Andrew, how are you this uh,
1: this Thursday afternoon? I'm good. Happy to be back on campus.
0: Yeah, we all are. And it's uh, We didn't have our show two weeks ago because WQAQ uh, said that no shows happen, although the Mac and Main show happened on Monday, so I can attest to that. Um, and then we didn't have our show two days ago because of the reason I was calling hockey. So, But we're back with a Thursday edition, a Super Bowl edition. Uh, I'm friend, friend, uh, um, um, super excited super. to have him on the show, but before we, and we'll save all our hockey talk for, for Tuesday. So don't worry about that. But um, let's talk about uh, the MLB and let's just, uh, let's vent a little bit. Andrew, I'll start with you because you've been all over Twitter with uh, Rob Manfred and how bad this is going, but there hasn't been a deal. There hasn't been a lot of, uh, you know, happy talks. There's been a lot of arguing Uh, and again, no deals have been made. We're no closer to baseball starting at least in the major leagues, because the minor leaguers will still play the summer college leagues will still play. So I I don't, I'm going to let you vent for a little bit and just voice your thoughts on uh, how the
1: MLB is uh, proceeding with these, uh, negotiations. Okay. So let's start with today. So Rob Manfred actually spoke to the media today there were the owners meetings where all the owners and Rob Manfred met in Orlando, I believe, and tried to discuss how they're going to proceed going into Saturday when their next meeting with the players association is scheduled. And Rob Manfred said that they're going to finally, after all of these months, which I'll get into in a second, make an offer that is going to get closer towards the demands that the players are looking for. We also learned today that there will be a universal DH that has been agreed to as well as a draft lottery in, in the, in in baseball as well, which I think is kind of interesting, but let's get, let's get to this whole lockout. Rob Manfred locked out the players of baseball in December. They have had over two months to figure out how a deal, and they they probably should have been negotiating going back to the summer, knowing that this CBA expiration date was coming in early December, but they didn't. They decided to wait. They have been very polarized. We've seen it in 2020 when they barely got in a 60 game season because they couldn't come to a financial deal involving the COVID shortened season, but now, but they've only made. Major League Baseball has only made two proposals to the players since the, start of, since the start of December, which is just a joke because they have had months to figure this out. The MLB Players Association has been making concessions. They've been trying to get to the table and make a deal with the, with the owners, but the owners just have refused to negotiate, and Rob Manfred – one up there today, and he's trying to make the players look like the bad guys. He's been doing that all along, and it's frustrating as a baseball fan. The fans are the ones that are really getting screwed over from this whole thing, and it looks like a delay is, of the season is inevitable. I'm I'm nervous right now, and hopefully Saturday they get a little closer. I still take it for a grain of salt that the, that Major League Baseball is going to make concessions to the players because they haven't given us any reason to believe that they will the last few months where they've just done nothing.
0: It's, it's frustrating as a, a big fan of baseball and as someone who's a frequent, you know, we're both baseball fans here. We, we both love our, our separate teams. Um, but I hate how the players voice their displeasure on social media saying like, Oh, we want to deal, we want to play. And, the owners are, you know, they're not suiting our needs, I guess. And then Manfred goes up there and basically says, Nope, we're not the bad guys. You're the bad guys. It's your fault. And that makes no sense. Like you can't, they know the players are, there's a multitude of players on a multitude of teams that are voicing their displeasure of the owners and Rob Manfred for not getting a deal. And, 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 you could see it on social media. You could see it online. You could see it on television. It's everywhere. And then Medford had had the guts today to go up to the podium and say, Nope, it's all your fault. Well, then if it's all their fault, then maybe get a deal if you're going to take so long. And this isn't just affecting the fans. It's affecting the, the, the youth and the kids who grow up to be baseball players and want to watch their favorite players. And you want to see that growth of the game. And we're not seeing that growth of the game at any point. And you're right, two months, two proposals by the owners, both were rejected. I, I don't know if – I definitely don't think spring training is going to start on time. I would be shocked if the regular season starts on time. But it just looks like an absolute disaster right now. And and I, I hope you're right. I hope that this, this meeting on Saturday at least gets us closer to playing baseball in 2022 because it, it would be – a disaster if we end up missing baseball this year and it would, and it would be just like, not just like a, a baseball and a sporting impact, but it would be a financial impact. It would affect everybody uh, associated with baseball. So we'll see what uh, happens on Saturday and uh, we hope that we can get to a deal soon. All right. Speaking of deals, we have a bunch of uh, NBA deals that have happened over the last uh, hour and a half or so. Uh, The biggest deal at this point would probably be the Ben Simmons trade to Brooklyn to get James Harden to Philadelphia. So how will this impact both teams with Simmons now out of Philadelphia and the Sixers now getting James Harden?
1: I honestly think that this is a win-win trade for both sides because clearly as James Harden has expressed over the last few weeks, allegedly, he wanted out of Brooklyn. So He got that. He gets to go to the 76ers to play with Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris. That team is going to be scary good. And Tyrese Maxey has developed to become a star point guard. He's young. He's looked really good. But James Harden going there with Embiid is going to be insane. But you got to look at this return for Brooklyn. Ben Simmons, although he hasn't played this year, he is still a very, very talented player. He's a former number one overall pick. Yes, he can't shoot the ball, but going to this team, he doesn't need to shoot the ball. He's got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I also like, and now Seth Curry, he's going with them too. That's another elite shooter that the Nets are getting. They also have Patty Mills, who has played well. And I also like the pickup of Andre Drummond. I think he's going to help them defensively. They've really struggled rebounding the ball this year, Brooklyn. So getting him is going to be big. And they also got two first-round picks, which is big because they lost so many when they got James Harden. But, yeah, I I really like this trade for both sides. I think I used to believe that the Sixers were frauds, but with Harden and Embiid, I think that they're probably the best team in the East, if not top three. And Brooklyn, they just got a lot deeper. And once Kevin Durant returns from injury, they're going to be very tough to beat.
0: Yeah, I think that gets all this. It also gets all the Simmons drama from out of Philadelphia and right. puts him on a team that has Kevin Durant and that could still be special along with Drummond and Seth Curry. So they've got something in Brooklyn. And then for Philadelphia, the big question for me is Joel Embiid seems to get banged up at a certain point every year. And he hasn't this year, but my concern is if he goes down then it's just all on James Harden because so who are they going to look to now? They're going to look to James Harden and they're going to look to Joel Embiid. Well, if one of those guys goes down, then there's a problem. I don't think the Sixers have the depth to be a contender in the East. I think their starting five is good. And I think it's good enough to carry them the rest of the season, but injuries can happen at a certain point, And I worry about Philadelphia if one of those two big guys goes down. So especially Embiid with, with his injury problems, uh, for sure. Uh, The Celtics made some moves, which is good because the Celtics have been getting better. They've won six straight, which is good to see as a Celtics fan, because I thought um, they absolutely throttled the Brooklyn Nets. But I think it was coming off the game against the Heat when they won by 30 points. I know that the Heat were um, banged up. I was like, as a Celtics fan, uh, that's whatever. They're gonna lose the next game to Charlotte. Nope, they won that one. They've won uh, three in a row after that. So they've won a combined six in a row. They get Daniel Tice back which is awesome because I met Daniel Tice once. He is a fantastic human being and an excellent defender for Boston. And uh, who do they get from uh, San Antonio? I'm looking this up. Derek right White. Derek White.
1: Just saw him um, there.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's good for the Celtics. I think they need more scoring depth um, because Tatum and Brown are obviously the dynamic duo, but adding a third guy into the rotation is good. Uh, Daniel Tice on the back end the Celtics might be a team to watch out for if if those acquisitions pay off
1: oh yeah for sure the Celtics they had a good deadline I also think getting rid of Schroeder was that was necessary you know he hasn't been great for them but yeah I like the pickup of Derek White he's a young developing and improving player I think he can get better in Brooklyn I love Thice going back to Brooklyn that's or back to Boston it's a big pickup but I want to vent a little bit about the, what the Sacramento Kings are doing because the other day they they picked up the they picked up Sabonis and Jeremy Lamb from the Pacers, but they traded away Tyrese Halliburton, who's a young developing stud point guard. Yeah, what the hell were, was that when they were looking to trade when they could have traded De'Aaron Fox, who I think is an overrated. The guy or point guard who plays no defense and they could have gotten that same package if they had included him instead of Halliburton. Halliburton going to the Pacers is going to be huge for Indiana fans in the future. He is a stud and I don't understand what the Kings were thinking there. We also saw another big trade today. We saw Chris Haps Porzingis get sent to the Wizards, which I think is interesting, even though they just unfortunately bradley beal is undergoing season-ending surgery so it looks like their season's over but they sent spencer dinwiddie who's a solid guard to the mavericks which i think is a really good pickup for dallas putting him in the backcourt with luka Doncic, who's having an incredible season and we also saw a couple other guys get traded but my new york knicks i really wanted them to make some moves but they did nothing um so it'll be interesting to see how they get Cam Reddish in the rotation, who they acquired a few weeks ago. But yeah, this was an ex- this was an exciting trade deadline, though a lot of massive moves.
0: Yeah, and I, I was shocked for the Knicks too because I I heard that like Joyous Randall could get traded because he's been talking a lot and he's been seeing him a couple of days ago on the on the bench and just getting a little upset and uh, you know barking at someone, you know. I was like, all right, so he's probably on the trading block. And that's what a lot of people have said on Twitter. And then they don't make any moves, which is bad because they're two and a half games out of the playoff picture. And they went on the Western road trip and currently have not won a game. They have a chance to win one in golden state tonight, but is it time for the Knicks to start to panic with all the joyous Randall controversy and the fact that they're falling out of the playoff race?
1: I do think it's time for the Knicks to panic because they just have not shown that they can play defense this year. Last year, their foundation was set around playing hard-nosed hard defense and staying in the game by having good shooting percentages from outside the arc and playing good on-ball defense. This year, they've strayed away from that. And You also, they haven't been playing their young guys. Obi Toppin, when he's been in, he's looked good. They're not giving him minutes. Same with Emmanuel Quickly. And Cam Reddish, who they just acquired, was having a really solid year down in Atlanta before they got him. But Julius Randle has completely fallen off. He's averaging under 20 points a game now after averaging almost 25 last year. And his shooting percentages are way down. And... I mean, I guess some reasons for optimism, maybe R.J. Barrett. He has looked really good this year. He's starting to develop into a star. Mitchell Robinson at center has looked good. And Derrick Rose getting hurt really altered the chemistry of this team. They looked much better when he was healthy. He will be back after the all-star break, which is good news. But we still have a little ways to go before we get there. But – yeah, I'm concerned about the Knicks. You know, they're sitting right now at thirty at twenty-four and thirty-one, which is just terrible. They're three two and a half games out of a playoff spot right now, though, which is which is doable because you're seeing some some of those teams towards the bottom of the east, like Charlotte, fall off a little bit. I think they've lost they've lost six in a row. So we'll see if the Knicks can heat up because there are teams ahead of them that they could catch.
0: Well, the concerning thing for me is since they beat the Hawks back in the middle of January, they've lost 12, 10 of their last 12 games. And in the most of those games, they've given up over 100 points, <clears throat> which is surprising. You know, Julius Randall is defensively averaging uh, eight rebounds a game, but offensively only two. So major drop-off from that standpoint. They're 27th in, in scoring this year. They're 29th in assists. And as good as their rebounds have been, they're just not scoring enough points. And it's, you know, they've fallen behind in a lot of these games and they can't stop people. And you're right. I mean, Randall's falling off. I don't know. I don't know how he's supposed to get it back. He, you know, I remember him at the beginning of the season saying, oh, we love New York. It was awesome. We had a great year last year. Can't wait. And I'm not seeing that this year. He doesn't have that same fire or he doesn't have that same passion that he had last year. So it's concerning for the Knicks. I'm going to throw my team, the Celtics, out there for a second just to go off a little bit. They have played so much better. And, I, I, I you know, Celtics Twitter is one of those things where, like, I, anytime the Celtics lose after they win a big game, it's why, how come, what's wrong with us, oh, my God. And now they've won six in a row and they've beaten some good teams. They went to, they went to Brooklyn and absolutely destroyed the nets the other day, which was awesome in a while. What were they at? 28 to two at one point in the first quarter.
1: Oh yeah. I, I bet on the Celtics that night. So I was happy <laughs> about that.
0: <laughs> that was great. Um, yeah, they, they've won six in a row. They're, they're back in the thick of the playoff picture. They're only four and a half games out of first place. So the East is, is tight. There's a lot of good teams. Um, it, you know, if Brooklyn's acquisitions pay off, they can get back. Charlotte's struggling. A- Atlanta, maybe. I'm not ready to. I'm not ready to say no with Atlanta. I think they're still gonna. They're gonna For find sure. a way to get in. Um, but Miami, I, I think if they can get healthy, they'll be back. Obviously, missing Tyler Harrow and Victor Oladipo is 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 big. Um, so shifting over to the West, um, who is the worst LA team out there? The Clippers or the Lakers?
1: I right now, I want to put the spotlight for negativity on the Lakers. They lost last night to a Trailblazers team who I forgot to mention. They also traded away C j. McCollum for mm-hmm. a bag of dirt. They didn't get anything <laughs> back from him for from New Orleans. I mean Josh Hart's a decent player, but he's no cJ. McCollum, right, but the Lakers they had let's talk about Russell Westbrook for a second. Okay. He has been absolutely atrocious. In the month of February, he has as many field goals made as turnovers. Do you know how hard that is to do? Yeah, it's, like, it's, that's he's, <laughs> he's having an awful year. LeBron James, he's having a fantastic year. I feel bad for him, honestly. You know, yeah, he is man. no help. Anthony Davis coming back from injury—I thought that would make them better. They're still sitting at twenty-six and thirty. This is this. This isn't a, a star-packed Lakers team. And they just can't get it going. I will say for the Clippers, I'll give them the injury excuse because they've missed Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for an extended amount of time. So you're relying on Reggie Jackson and Zubach and let's see who else they had. They just picked up Norm. They also got Norm Powell from the Trailblazers, another good player that they traded away. That's actually a solid pickup for -hmm. the Clippers. But the Los Angeles Lakers, they're they're a game worse than the Clippers with that roster, which is just mind boggling. And I, they're at risk of missing the playoffs because there's. Or actually, no, they're not. Looking well, I was to gonna say,
0: I was, I was gonna say, how confident do you feel that Sacramento, Portland, San Antonio, or well, how how confident are you that any of those teams can jump them at this point?
1: I honestly think that New Orleans could jump them. Okay. Um, I really like Valanchunas. Brandon Ingram's really solid. Devontae Graham. And now they just got CJ McCollum. So I do think they could catch them. Out of the, I don't think Portland can with Lillard being out. But Sacramento's an interesting team to watch. Last night, they looked really good in a 132, 119 victory over the Timberwolves at home. Mm-hmm. As Sabonis came in and had a really good debut with them. Harrison Barnes had 30 points. I, and Davion Mitchell, their backup point guard, he's going to be really good. I do think that if the Lakers continue to struggle and the Kings continue to put up points, they've won two of their last three, there is a chance that they could catch them, but I'd be surprised.
0: The Lakers do have a, a, a four game gap between them and Portland between the uh, playing games. So Mm -hmm. I I think that they're still in good shape, but
1: they will get in probably, but I I don't have any confidence right now in them beating any of these playoff teams.
0: Yeah. I'll throw the Clippers out there because I know that they're so injured, but you you can't be, you got to beat a good team to, to, you know, get confidence and they haven't been able to do that. They've lost to Miami. They lost to Milwaukee tonight. And then they went and got absolutely destroyed by the Grizzlies by the way, yeah. still my team. I still think that they're going to win the awesome. team in the West. John Morant, MVP, 100%. And, you know, if I'm wrong, I'll wear it. But, you know, losses to Memphis, losses to Phoenix, losses to um, the Miami Heat, losses to Indiana. You, I again, to the <laughs> you, I, I was going to say that too. But, uh, yeah, you, you can't be a playoff team if you can't beat any team that's in the playoffs at the moment. So – that's the problem. And, by the way, your point on Minnesota, I'm not ready to write off Minnesota yet. I, I think that they're a, a very, very good team. Uh, you know, I, I think they just had a little bit of a letdown. Second game in Sacramento, um, just a tough one. I'm excited to see what they can do against the Bulls. That would be a fantastic game to watch to see if the Timberwolves can show if they are, they're for real. Because they, they did beat Utah. They, they did beat the Knicks. They beat the Warriors. They're, they're a pretty good team.
1: Yeah, Memphis is awesome. And, you know, it's not just John Morant that's doing it. You know, Desmond Bain, he's averaging almost 18 a game. He's been really solid as their starting shooting guard. Jaron Jackson Jr. has looked good. And they've got other guys on the bench. They got Anderson, Melton, Clark, Brooks. They have all played very well, too. And, you know, their offense is explosive. John Morant, I agree with you 100%. I think he's definitely a contender to be the MVP. You know, I mean, I guess you could put him up with Embiid and Giannis as those are probably the most three likely with Curry struggling of late, but no, John Morant, he's, he's, he's been so impactful for this Grizzlies team that he should win MVP, but they've got a lot of other good players. They're going to be a tough out in the playoffs.
0: They can still run the table. I still think that they're going to win the West. I think that they're going to get to the NBA finals. They're going to come close, depending on who they play. But that's just my opinion. All right. Time to get to the Super Bowl. And let's talk about what happened before the Super Bowl. First of all, congratulations to the NFL on giving us one of the most fantastic postseasons we will ever witness. There were great, the wildcard games. Some were – I mean, the Patriots getting blown out in Buffalo was obviously a sore spot for me because that was – I went to bed at halftime, and by the time the Patriots scored their first touchdown, I was still awake. And I'm like, good for Mac Jones. Glad he got a passing touchdown, went right to bed. Woke up 47-17. to 14, 17. Like, what? That bad, that, that, huh? It, 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 was, it was brutal. Um, other than that, the wild card games were pretty good. The divisional – game, oh, my gosh. The divisional games were awesome. The Bills-Chiefs game. I I literally walked away from that feeling so bad for Josh Allen. He was a warrior that game. Uh, And then Tom Brady going out along with Aaron Rodgers, which, by the way, I was happy to see Aaron Rodgers leave Green Bay in that mood against the San Francisco 49ers. That's the only – I actually bet – I fake bet on San Francisco, and I won, so I'm glad I I hit that. Um, But, honestly, Tom Brady losing to the Rams, that was – that was brutal, especially after – Bruce Arians, like what was Bruce Arians doing on that third down? And what was it like? No, it was all a blitz on third down and Stafford Kupako over the middle. And then the championship games were awesome. The Rams finally overcoming the 49ers, the Bengals beating the Chiefs. By the way, and this is, I'll ask you this as well. Do you think that 21 to three at Arrowhead is worse than blowing a 28, three lead in the Super Bowl? That's my hot take, but I'll just—I want your opinion to weigh in on this.
1: I could see that. I could see that that being a good case because the Kansas City Chiefs had no reason to lose that game, and they looked—they looked unstoppable in the first half. But just like the Patriots in that twenty-eight to three game, you got to give the Bengals defense a lot of credit. They played very hard despite being down. They gave Joe Burrow opportunities to get back in the game. And they executed. But, yeah, I think that is just a terrible loss for the Chiefs. And then they got the ball again in overtime to start with it. Like, they should have won it there. Patty Mahomes throws an interception. And then you got this stud kicker, McPherson, knocked down. He hasn't missed a kick yet in the playoffs to win it. Oh, man, I, I love this Bengals team. Um, yeah, you can make an argument, though, that that 21-3 halftime lead could be worse than the Falcons blowing that lead against the Pats because they were at home, where the Super Bowl was a neutral site. No, you're in Arrowhead. You've already lost to the Bengals this year, so you can't lose to them again with that big of a lead, and they did. Right, and some people
0: have said, like, why do you think it's why do you think that's worse? I'm like, because you're at you're in one of the loudest stadiums, probably the loudest stadium in the entire league. You're at home. You're playing a Bengals team that has inferior talent and you lay an absolute egg in the second half. You lay a goose egg in overtime after you get the ball. That's why it's bad. The Falcons played in a neutral site in Houston in the Super Bowl and hadn't played the, and you're right. They they played the Bengals twice. This was the second time. The Falcons had never played the Patriots before. This was the first matchup. So that to me was so much worse than 28-3 when you have Patrick Mahomes, you have Tyreek Hill, you have Travis Kelsey, you and you have that, that defense that was so good in the second half of the season. Like, that was what was shocking to me, how horrible the Chiefs blew that game and how bad it went from showtime to what in the actual heck just happened.
1: One thing so, I'll add is that the, when they played each other this season in Cincinnati, the Chiefs were also up 28-14 at halftime – or they were up 28-17 at halftime but 28-14 at one point. So they've blown two big leads against the Bengals now this year, which is just crazy. Hmm.
0: All right, so let's dive into it. We have the Rams and the Bengals. We I did not think that either one of these teams would be in the Super Bowl let alone the playoffs in the Bengals' case cuz I thought I think I had them close, but I didn't have them making it because I didn't know what what they would do with that offensive line, and they've shown time after time. Doesn't matter about the O line; they just play the game. Uh, you have Joe Burrow going up against Matthew Stafford, which should be an excellent quarterback matchup. You're going to have wide star wide receivers. You're going to have some great defensive players on both sides of the ball. Uh, it makes for a fascinating Super Bowl in LA. And I, I'm honestly, this is a probably one of the most unexpected yet one of the most entertaining Super Bowls we might see this year, or might see in the past 15 years?
1: I would definitely take that this game is going to be decided within the spread of the game, four and a half points. I think this is going to be a battle to the very end, you know. But I do have to say, I do think that the Rams have the advantage going into this game for two reasons. For two reasons. Go ahead, go ahead. Don't make your pick, but give you a reason. Okay. I'm gonna give you reasons why they have the advantage. I'm not gonna give you my final pick. Okay. But A, the games in LA, which I mean, I guess you could say isn't too bad for the Bengals because they just went into in the arrowhead and won. They went into Tennessee and in won. But the Super Bowl, I feel like coming off last year where Brady won it at home, it'd be cool to see it happen two years in a row. Where the home team won the Super Bowl. So that'll be interesting. But the story of this game and the reason that the Rams may have an advantage is their defensive line has just been unbelievably insane this, this postseason. I mean, maybe outside of the second half of the Bucs Ram or the Bucks-Rams game. But last week they they really put pressure on Jimmy G. They he threw an interception at the end of the game as well. You know, he had no time to throw the ball. I think Aaron Donald's going to be tough to stop, especially after watching the Bengals O-line give up nine sacks in the divisional round against the Tennessee Titans. Now they have to deal with the Rams defensive line with Von Miller, Aaron Donald, Floyd. It's going to be tough. but So it'll be interesting to see how Joe Burrow responds to that.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll break down our key matchups in a little, uh, we'll break down the key matchups on both sides of the ball for both teams. And your point on the, I'm going to, um, I'm going to disagree with your point on it being in LA because there was a sea of red in LA when the 49ers were there twice. So, might not matter because I think it was a bigger deal in Tampa because it was like their first, it was what their first Super Bowl and since t- 2002 and it's Tom Brady against Patrick Mahomes. Right. We didn't see a big home field advantage for the Rams when they were playing against San Francisco in the championship game. So maybe it might be like 50-50s, maybe 60-40, 70-30 kind of game. But I don't see it being all blue and gold. I, you know, the whole, the whole stadium being blue and gold. I don't see it because of what happened two weeks ago when the 49ers went into uh, Los Angeles. All right. So let's start with when the Bengals have the ball and the Rams are on defense. What's the big key outside of the the Rams front four or front seven against the Bengals offensive line? What could be the big matchup outside of that that we'll see in this game?
1: It's going to be Jamar Chase and Jalen Ramsey. You got two absolutely insane players at their positions going at it. And, you know, I think, I don't think that, Ramsey will be on chase the whole game. Cause you still have to watch out for T Higgins and Tyler Boyd and the Bengals do like to utilize Jamar chase sometimes out of the backfield or even in the slot. But actually, I'm just going to narrow this down. Jamar chase. I think he has to have a big game and have an impact on this offense. I'm interested to see how they, for the ramp, for the Bengals offense, they need him to play well. And they also need Mixon to have some big runs. I think
0: they're gonna to have to do what the 49ers have been doing and put their heads in the dirt and run the football to alleviate the pressure off of Joe Burrow as much as they possibly can, because you said it yourself, that Bengals offensive line is a mismatch against that Rams front. But I also think if if the Bengals are gonna pass the ball, Joe Burrow is gonna to have to make quick decisions instantaneously, like with a, with a snap of a finger. He's got to know – he's got to be like a Tom Brady kind of thing where I know where my guy's going, I know what he's going to do, and this is when I'm going to hit him as soon as I possibly can.
1: They got to get Nixon involved in the passing game. screens.
0: I I agree. I also think you could pull some misdirections in the run game. Uh, Similar to what the Patriots did against Miles Garrett when they were playing the Browns earlier this year. Misdirections, play actions, um, run the ball with receivers – just to get the pressure off the Rams' front four, and then if you're going to go away from Jalen Ramsey, you have T. Higgins, you have C.J. Uzama, who's supposed to be healthy enough for the game, and you have uh, Tyler Boyd, who have both, who all three have been fantastic receivers. So it's it's more than Chase, I think, with this offense. It's just that their all lines of concern they have to hold up. They're going to have to know how to double team Aaron Donald and Von Miller and Leonard Floyd. Well, they're going to have to double team Donald. So that leaves one on one with Miller and, and Floyd. They have to buy as much time as they possibly can for Joe Burrow to get the ball out of his hands quickly. All right. When the Rams have the ball and the Bengals are on defense, what's the big matchup there?
1: I think it's Matthew Stafford. He's got to show up. I mean, we saw him do it in Tampa Bay. You know, when they blew that lead, he had that big drive down the field where he connected with Cooper Cup. If Matt Stafford can make big plays, it's going to be tough for this Bengals team to stop them. I also think Cam Akers, it's important that they get him involved and even Sony Michelle on a few plays, maybe on third and shorts or second and shorts or something like that. But they have to they have to move the ball efficiently. You know, I think Cooper Cup's gonna have obviously a big impact on this game. And if you're the Bengals, you have to figure out what your plan's gonna to be to stop him. Or and Odell Beckham Jr. because they are both having phenomenal postseasons, and if you can stop one of them, you have to worry about the other. You're going to have Tyler Higby coming back healthy, it looks like, and Stafford likes to go to him sometimes. And Van Jefferson, he's not a bad receiver either. You got to watch for him. And so, yeah, I think Matt Stafford, if he could, if he could limit turnovers in this game, makes him. Just smart decisions with the football that's going to be the key for the Rams offense going into this one.
0: This is going to come down to one of those adjust and adapt situations for the Bengals like we saw in Kansas City, you know, they made an adjustment play three play too deep drop eight and rush three or have seven drop seven back and rush three with a spy so. Will they adjust to that? Will they adjust what the Rams offense will do? That will be the big key at halftime for me to watch and see if the Bengals' defense will make any adjustments. But they're going to have to figure out a way to take away Cooper Cup. They're going to have to figure out a way to take away O.L. Beckham Jr. And if Tyler Higgins back, you're going to have to stop him. And you're going to have to stop him, Akers, in the passing game too. But yes. when Matthew Stafford plays a big game, he – it's a rough – there's, like, some rough stretches with the Rams. We didn't see it against the Cardinals, but against the Bucks, up 27-3, got to come back. Or Brady came back, tied the game. It took Matt Stafford one throw to win the game. Then against the 49ers, they're down 10. Stafford plays well, gets the win. You, you, you can't live on that edge for that long. You have to do something to be consistent, Get a little aggressive on offense. You can have to run the football, and I think the Bengals pass rush. We're not talking about them enough. I, I they were fantastic Hubbard. against the Chiefs. You got Hubbard. You got Hendrickson, um, and then you got Jesse Bates dropping back into coverage. Um, Mike Hilton. You know that's a good defense. They, they don't get talked about enough with what they did against um, not against Kansas City, but against Tennessee. What they did against the Raiders, trying to get into the postseason. So. To me, I think it's just if Matt Stafford can avoid hitting a pothole and declining during the game and not being able to score, he will have to find a way to dig himself out, or the Bengals are gonna figure out hey, we're up, we're up big, we can now relax, we'll take our chances, but they're gonna stay aggressive on defense. So Matt Stafford cannot be cannot turn into Detroit line Matthew Stafford. He can't do that. He has to be full on LA Ram, Matthew Stafford. And I think Sean McVay is going to get creative. I think both coaches will be creative in this game. All right. Let's make our picks. The Rams are four and a half point favorites. I'll let you go first. Who's going to win the Super Bowl?
1: I think the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl 24 to 21. It's going to be a very close game. It's going to come right down to the end of the game. I think, I actually think it's going to be tied in the fourth quarter, but they're going to kick a field goal to go ahead with two minutes left. And then I think the Rams D is going to make a big stop to end the game. All right.
0: That's a good one. All right. This is going back to the Kansas city chiefs game in week 17, when the Bengals were down by 11 points, I wrote them off. They were going to get in. They were going to lose in the first round. If they ever won the division and Zach Taylor would have been out the door. And what happened? They beat the Chiefs. So, okay, I wrote them off, and they won the game. So what? All right, they get to the playoffs. I thought the Raiders could maybe hang in there, maybe steal a possession or two, maybe have a chance to win the game. But I didn't have trust in Derek Carr. The Bengals won the game. Against Tennessee, I just couldn't do it. I, the, the Titans were too good on both sides of the ball. The Bengals were not. I picked the Titans to win. I was completely wrong. Then I picked them to win last week. I said I had a good feeling. Bengals adjusted on defense; they make it hard for the Chiefs to score. Money McPherson was going to win the game, and I got it right. So, that's probably my penance for writing the Bengals off at the end of the season. So, I'm going to pick them to win the Super Bowl. I think the Cincinnati Bengals are going to figure out a way to, to slow down the pass rush for the Rams. They're going to do an adjustment on defense that will force Matthew Stafford into stupid decisions maybe get a short field. This this is all reminiscent of the Tennessee game when the Titans had nine sacks and the Bengals still won the game because the Bengals forced turnovers on defense. I could see it happening. I could see it. Matthew Stafford can make one or two or maybe three really bad mistakes. The Bengals get a short field and Evan is going to win this game. I'm going with the Bengals. I'm going to say 31-28 Bengals, late fourth quarter overtime kick from McPherson uh, to win so we're going to disagree on this one I, I I've been riding with the Bengals I actually I wrote I wrote the Bengals off and then I picked them to win in Kansas City so I'm picking them to win the Super Bowl because I don't know I, I'm stupid <laughs> Um, so yeah it should be a great Super Bowl nonetheless so I'm really excited to watch the game
1: yeah no um, it's going to be an awesome game you know obviously last year's Super Bowl was kind of not a great game to watch. I think the the Bucks won 31-9 or something like that. Yeah, we but both I think the Chiefs to win. I think I did too. So <laughs> I think we're in for a different story this year. We're going to have very competitive game. There's going to be some big defensive plays made by both teams. And both of us agree it's going to be a close game no matter who wins. So mm-hmm. good luck. We'll see who takes the <laughs> final game of the year.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Well, you won the regular season title. I'll have to tally up our, our postseason scores. You're and, killing uh, we'll see. Uh, am I really? I haven't checked. I think so. I, I know I won. I, what was I two for two in the divisional round, and then I was two for two in the cha- or two two and zero in the championship round. So I don't know. I'll have to check. So we'll see. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for us for the Marvel Sports Talk Show. We will see you in the studio next Tuesday. We have Randy Moeller from the Florida Panthers coming on to join us for talk some hockey. And uh, we will recap the Super Bowl then uh, next week for Andrew. I'm David. So long. We'll see you on Tuesday.